Well, for just a moment, as we've sung about Christ's coming, we want to turn to his word and look at that coming. And so if you would turn to Galatians chapter four, we're going to begin our time here and we'll be jumping around in various locations this morning. Galatians chapter four, we just one, uh, two verses, verses four and five. Paul to the Galatians writes, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. All of Christmas proclaims one very central truth, and that truth is that Christ came. And he did not come before his time or after his time, but right on time. That is the fullness of time at the appointed time. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. He came. This was the moment appointed in ages past that the son would come. Luke 2.11, for unto you is born this day. That is, on a particular day, an appointed day, a Savior who is Christ, that is Messiah, the Lord. Charles Spurgeon writes, There are no loose threads in the providence of God. And that is because the omniscient Lord of all appoints every date of every moment, all of time is in His hands. This being the case, as we drive around and we gaze at Nativity scenes which sit on our lawns or perhaps on your bookshelf. Let us remember that the great clock of the universe keeps perfect time. And this was an appointed time that Christ came. So every nativity scene proclaims one central truth. When you see it, you know Christ came. And yet though such depictions do seek to turn the viewer's thoughts backwards as it should in thoughtful meditation of our Savior's birth, there is also a sense in which every nativity scene ought to turn one's gaze upwards, heavenwards, to another appointed time which has not yet come. You see that he came ought to remind the faithful and warn the unfaithful that he shall come. And thus the sights and the sounds And the songs of Christmas ought to remind us all to look up in eager expectation of our Savior's return. Yes, at Christmas we celebrate a moment in time, but that moment is not frozen in time. Time has continued to pass on, and thus we dare not gaze backwards to the neglect of what lies ahead. Because at the appointed time, the fullness of time, yes, he came, but also at the appointed time, he shall come. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to focus on two comings of Christ, the first coming and the second coming. And I want to note the similarities between the two, but also some major differences I want to do this so that we might settle in our hearts and our minds the truth that because he came, we know he shall come. We begin by noting a similarity. That is the promise of his coming. 
both of these comings, the first and the second, happened according to, or will happen according to, a promise. And so this morning, we gather together, not only to remember the birth of Christ, but also to remember and remind ourselves that He came just as God promised. Hear the words long ago, spoken to the serpent, right after the fall. I will put enmity, Genesis 3.15, or hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Who is that he? This is one that would come from Adam's line. Uh, An offspring, a, a seed of Adam would be born to bruise the head of the serpent, and that serpent would bruise the heel of the man. This is the promise of Christmas, that the one whom God promised long ago would come to bruise or crush the head of the serpent has indeed come. He was born in fulfillment of that promise. Now, this original promise that was given to Adam and Eve, they looked forward to. And thus, every baby that was born, there was a sense in which there was an eager expectation. Would this be the one who is to come? And eventually, this promise was passed to Abraham and confirmed to Abraham by the Lord with these words. Genesis 12, 2. God said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, that is, in your line, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promise of Christmas is that there would be one who would come who would bless all the families of the earth. As we continue reading Genesis 12, 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham again and said to your offspring, or literally in the Hebrew, to your seed, singular, I will give this land. Later in Genesis twenty two seventeen, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And in your offspring, again, literally, seed, singular, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Who is this offspring? Who is this seed, the promised one? Paul confirms that the seed spoken of in Genesis is indeed Christ, the Messiah. Galatians 3.16, now the promises were spoken to Abraham, that that is true, and to his seed. And then Paul says, he does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ, Messiah. Jesus is his name. He came as promised. God said he would come, and he made good on that promise, for he has indeed come. Luke 2.11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah proclaims, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, oh, come on, come on, ready? Which means God with us. God came. He was with us, amongst us. Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. 
And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Christ is the promised seed of the Old Testament. He is the one who crushed the head of the serpent. He is the one whose heel was bruised. He is the one in whom all nations and families of the earth shall be blessed. And yet, the patriarchs, the prophets, the ones who were given these promises, did not see it come to fruition. That did not happen. It did not come. Hebrews 11.13, these, the ones to whom the promises were given, all died in faith, not having received the things promised. And yet, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, but having seen them from afar and greeted them or welcomed them. The idea there is that they saw the promise, they believed in the promise, so much so that they opened the door of their hearts. It was as if it were really true, because it was true. Note Jesus' words to the Pharisees, John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. It hadn't happened, but it was a settled reality in their minds. It was as if it had happened. Why were they able to do this? Because it was God who promised. And God is faithful. He will keep His words. Though they did not see Christ in His first coming, they knew it would happen. And of course, 2,000 years ago, it did happen. Christ came. And there were those who saw Him, who talked with Him. There were those who were healed by him, rebuked by him. There were those who listened to him. They heard the authority of his teaching. And in so doing, they were eyewitnesses to the amazing reality of Emmanuel, God with us. John writes in 1 John 1, 1, That which was from the beginning, that is Christ, God, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. He has appeared, first coming of Christ. And we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and made manifest to us. How can it be? That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Christ came, he was born, he lived, breathed, and died, and rose again. And what this means is that the promise of the coming Messiah has been fulfilled. Nothing else needs to happen. 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 4, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What did he receive? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, according to God's promise, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. What is Paul saying? God promised, and Christ came. It happened. And so Christ's first coming was in accordance to a promise, a word from the Lord. And as we're noting a similarity between the first and the second, we can say that also his second coming will be in accordance with a promise. Now Christ, at this very moment, sits at the right hand of the Father. 
He is exalted. And he has given a promise. John 14, 1. To the disciples whose hearts were very troubled, as Jesus had just told them he was about to leave the earth, says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go, and if I prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow, but you will follow afterwards. Why will we follow? Because he will come back, he will be resurrected, and we will go with him. He came in accordance with the scriptures, and he shall also come in accordance with the scriptures. And thus, just moments after Jesus ascended into the heavens, the angels descended with a message. Men of Galilee, Acts 1.11, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you, uh, hear the preposition, from you, no longer with you, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He came, he shall come. This is the promise. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, this has happened. Now the second part will appear a second time. Matthew 16, 27, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father. He is coming back. The kingdom of heaven, then, is not only like a man who entrusted his servants with talents and then went on a long journey, but it is also like a man, a master, who returned in order to settle accounts with those servants. Revelation makes this point over and over again. If there is one central message to Revelation, it is simply Jesus is coming back. Revelation 3.11, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Revelation 22.7, and behold, pay attention, I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have. Blessed is the one who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Revelation 22.12, behold, what do you think he's going to say here? I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Revelation 22.20, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. I am coming soon. It's been 2,000 years. When shall he come? 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness. Why is he not yet come? But he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He sits in heaven exalted, waiting so that more may come to believe upon him. Be brought in so that when he comes back, he comes to save. He came as promised, he shall come as promised. In this we have a similarity. 
But (laughs) these two comings are very different. Major differences. The first that we would note would be the difference of the manner of his comings. He came, we worship today and remember today, as a baby, a child. For unto us a child is born. The angel said to the shepherds, Luke 2.10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a king who will conquer and set up a political reign. No. A child. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. It says they went in haste. They found Mary and Joseph. And also they found a baby lying in a manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. The manner of Christ's first coming was humility. He humbled himself by becoming a baby. And this humiliation Continued, for he did not grow into a great king, but he took on the form of a servant. A servant born to die in order that those who rebelled against him might live. Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, exalted, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Do you want to know what he was born like? Here you go, right here. Like you, in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Unparalleled condescension. Unimaginable humiliation. That Christ was born in the likeness of men and took on the form of humanity will surely be a truth that we will meditate on for all of eternity. How low was our Redeemer brought, asks the song. This is the question of Christmas. How can it be that the Creator would take the form of His own creation That the king of all men would become the servant of all men? That the one who owns it all would give up all so that he would have nowhere to lay his head? That the creator of life would give up his own life so that you might have life is a wonder of all wonders. A truth too great to be contained in the human heart. This was the manner that the God, God the Son, came. And yet, though he came in that manner, he will not come back in this manner. It will be very different. We continue reading in Philippians. We note that, yes, he emptied himself, took the form of a servant, born in the likeness of man, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. But, verse 9, therefore, Paul wrote, God has highly exalted him, and he has bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. No other name is above his name. No other person is exalted higher than him. Why? That at the name of Jesus, every name should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under the earth. You will not be able to find anyone anywhere, any creature anywhere that will not bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ, this baby, is Lord. He's Lord. And they will confess it to the glory of God the Father. He came as a baby, but he will return as a conquering king. Came as a lamb, will return as a lion. Came in humiliation, he will return in exaltation. The Christ of Christmas is the king of heaven. Revelation 19.11, picture this. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful. And true, which reminds us he has promised he will keep his promise. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, penetrating. And on his head are many diadems, many crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. And that name is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Though they mocked him then, and though they mock him now, when he returns, there will be no mocking. Silence, terror, fear. Psalm 2-4 reminds us, as they mocked, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Why does he laugh? He laughs because he proclaims, as for me, I have set my king, Jesus Christ, on Zion, my holy hill. He has ascended, he is exalted, he reigns, and he shall return. So the world loves to think of Jesus as a baby. A baby can be controlled A baby can be manipulated. In our society, a baby can be killed without recompense. But Jesus the King comes back. And when he comes, he will give recompense. He is not coming as a baby. He is coming as a king just as he promised. The first time he came, almost no one noticed. There were a few who knew he was coming. They had searched the scriptures to discern the moment when he might come. But most missed it. The second time he comes will not be like this. Revelation 1-7. Behold, he, Christ, is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen, meaning it is true. So there were eyewitnesses to the first coming we have seen, but every eye will witness the second coming. And what they will behold will be a power unlike they have ever seen, a light more glorious than their eyes can take in. He came as a baby, but behold, he shall come as a king. This is the manner of his comings. 
And so there is similarities between the first and second, but also there are differences. And we have seen one, and I want to show you one more. And that is this, the purpose of his coming. They are very different. Two questions, why did he come and why is he coming? To the first, we can confidently say, based upon what Jesus Christ himself has said, that he comes to save. Or came to save. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is why he came. The scriptures proclaimed it. Jesus proclaimed it. This is why he came. Galatians 4.4, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. Why? To redeem those who were under the law. He came to redeem, to purchase, to buy back. He came to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man, Matthew 20, 28, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mentioned earlier there were some who saw the moment, the time when Christ would come. Simeon was one of them, Luke 2, 28. Luke writes, when Simeon saw the baby, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Note carefully that if you have not seen that Christ is salvation, you will not depart in peace. Salvation comes through Christ. He saw it. He says that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. John 1.29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, proclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. It is clear this is why he came. And the saints who have believed this message will forever sing in heaven. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. By your blood you have ransomed your people for God from every tongue and language and people and nation. This is why he came. And yet, the scriptures are clear that though he came to save, though he humbled himself, though he was even willing and did die on behalf of them, he was, according to Isaiah 53.3, despised, rejected by men. John 1.11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. They rejected him. They thought themselves to be the cure, and thus they rejected the only cure. They saw the baby, but they did not see the king. They did not see the purpose. Their Savior, their Messiah had come, and they missed it. The message of Christmas, please don't miss it, is that Christ came to seek and save the lost. And if you are in here, and you don't know Christ, you are lost. 
And yet, remember the message of Christmas, he came to seek and save the lost, which means he's seeking you. He's brought you an appointed time here in order that you might hear the message of the gospel, that he came, he lived, he died on a cross on behalf of you. And he proclaims his people everywhere to let the world know that that death can be applied to you if only you will repent and turn to him. Believe upon the cross. The time has come. And yet, who knows how much time there is left. He came at an appointed time, and he shall also come at an appointed time. He died, he rose, and he is coming again. And the purpose for which he comes The second time is very different. He came to save, but he will come back to judge. John 5, 25, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, a time is coming, and is now here, meaning it is so close that it is as if it is here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Why do they hear the voice? Because he has come back. And those who hear will live, for as the Father has life in himself, So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man, the promised one. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs, those who have died, will hear his voice. And they shall come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. But those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And who will judge? He does not delegate this responsibility. Christ himself will judge. This is the message of Christmas, that though he came to save, he is coming again to judge. Revelation 19.15 gives us a picture of Christ as he is now, for from the mouth of the king comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations and will rule them with a rod of iron. What good would our salvation be in Christ if those who rejected that salvation were allowed to continue to wreak havoc upon the world? This is a full salvation, a complete salvation. So though he comes to save, he also comes to judge as a part of our salvation. Matthew 25, 31, our Lord himself reminds us that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's exalted, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him, picture this, will be gathered all the nations. This will be a gathering unlike any gathering that has ever happened, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left then the king will say to those on his right come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world and we will confidently in that moment walk forward because we have believed upon Christ But then, to those on his left, depart from me, cursed, 
into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels and also for you. These, he said, will go away into eternal punishment, whereas the righteous into eternal life. When will he come? No one knows the day nor the hour. Scripture promises that it is soon. Who knows whether or not the river of time is about to flow off the cliff into that appointed time when the sun will come. Behold, he says, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. And when he comes, he will judge. And yet, only those who are outside of Christ. For he also comes to save. Hebrews 9.27, and just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes the judgment, death, then judgment, so also Christ, having been offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. It is appointed that every man will die, and after that comes the judgment. You would have expected in that verse to hear So also as Christ has died, there will be judgment. But the writer of Hebrews switches it. Because not only will there be judgment, there will also be salvation. But who will be saved? Those who eagerly wait for him. That is, those who know him. So the question is, Do you eagerly await him? Are you looking for his return? As you drive past the nativity scenes, do you look up in wonder and amazement, thinking to yourself, could this be the moment that the clouds will part and my Savior will come? Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. But for the time that you give me, help me to proclaim to everyone who will listen that Christ is coming. He has came, and so he will also come just as he promised. We'll end with this. Open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 through 15, which gives practical applications for the truths that we have been looking at. Peter starting in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. It says, but do not overlook this one fact. I love that. Maybe you could overlook some facts, a lot of facts, but not this one. Beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. How long has it been since Christ died? Two days. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all, that's a word filled with grace, should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar. Heavenly bodies will be burned up, dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be 
lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. This is the message of Christmas. All must take note that Christ came and He shall come. If you have not come to Him, one message for you. Come. He's full of grace and truth. And if you will come as a sinner, He came to save you. So that when He comes, you will go with Him. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Which is more than we can bear. More than we can take in. And yet, it is true. And so, Lord, though we would go from here and forget these things, Lord, keep it on our minds. Keep in our minds a picture of who you are. Not as you were, but as you are now, exalted, sitting at the right hand of the throne of your heavenly Father, waiting until your Father gives the signal, at which point you will come back to judge and to save all who are eagerly awaiting your return. In the meantime, help us to live just as you have commanded, in ways that are pleasing to you, with faith, not on our own works, but on the perfect work of the Son, who has provided for us the righteousness that will allow us to go with him. We thank you, Father. We pray all of this in your Son's name. Amen.